Hi, everyone, and welcome to all you data-driven marketers to the Two Guys and Some Data podcast. This is a show that doesn't just talk about data. We talk about how you can use data to actually make more money. And this is our 13th podcast, so going to be very lucky for us and for you, we hope. Excellent. Well, I'm Larry Cavanaugh. And I'm Alan Abbott. And today's topic is preparing for your peak season by using intent data to build and fine-tune your customer database during the rest of the year. Well, so, Alan, when people talk about peak season, I think the first thing that comes to mind are, you know, Black Friday, Cyber Monday, you know, thing that's coming up in just a couple of months. I, I did a little research into, you know, the origin of these terms. Uh, and, uh, you know, Black Friday, I think most people think of as, you know, a retail holiday where retailers uh, have finally made enough money that they go into the black. They're no longer in the red. They've actually, you know, the, the gross margin that they earn from that, day after Thanksgiving on is uh, roughly equal to their profit for the year. But you might know that that's not the real origin of Black Friday. It's actually much darker. Uh, do, you know the, uh, do you know the history of it? I do not. Uh, see, I thought you might because it has a, its origins are in retail and its origins are in Philadelphia. Uh, there was a uh, Army-Navy uh, played a big game in Philly uh, uh, the Saturday after Thanksgiving. Uh, and in the early 50s, there were such crowds that would come into Philly for the Army-Navy game uh, on that Friday that the police actually called it Black Friday because it was like so crowded, they had to work overtime, they didn't get that day off like they used to get that day off. And retailers began to kind of take advantage of it because it was sort of like the kickoff to the holiday season. You know, in those days, you know, 1950s, there was no online shopping, catalog was not very big. You know, if you lived out in the country and you wanted to shop, you went into the city to the retail stores to shop. But it really had a very negative connotation. It wasn't until the mid-80s that uh, some marketers uh, remade the name uh, into something that became like a positive and created this apocryphal story around, uh, you know, that it was when retailers went, uh, went positive. Now, Cyber Monday is, uh, you know, the origin of that I think is more obvious and there's no deep dark story around that, you know, it was that uh, as e-commerce started to boom, um, you know, as sort of a counterpoint to the in-store bricks and mortar retail Black Friday, they became Cyber Monday. But, you know, the thing about Cyber Monday that was what people didn't think as much about, at least employers didn't think as much about, is, you know, Black Friday was you know, that Friday because people had off and they could go into stores and shop. Cyber Monday, people are shopping from work. Uh, and that is where most e-commerce actually takes place, you know, nine to five, Monday through Friday uh, uh, from work. But, uh, you know, what's really happened to, you know, so that's the origin of those holidays, or not holidays, those shopping, uh, you know, what have become sort of iconic shopping traditions for us today. But one of the things that's happened in the retail world is that, uh, there's been sort of a condensation, you know, there's been a, you know, the, um, the, the, the spike in sales that happens at that time for retailers has really grown more and more exaggerated over the years. It's become a, uh, you know, a greater percentage of uh, sales for retailers take place, whether they're online retailers or bricks and mortar retailers, take place in that time frame. And, you know, so it's become like this super busy, but like make or break time, uh, you know, by the same token, uh, I would say, you know, consumers' lives have become busier as well. And so it's sort of like this confluence of uh, busy on top of busy uh, that I do think e-commerce has exacerbated, but uh, it's become this, you know, sort of super 
uh, you know, just you know, a lot of stuff going on. And what that means is it's a lot more important for retailers to really understand what's going on in their customers' minds in order to be able to get the right message to connect with them during this super critical but also super busy season. Yeah, so Larry, is it, there any truth to the rumor that uh, uh, Cyber Monday may be changed to uh, Amazon Day? <laughs> well, for all practical purposes, was it 40% of e-commerce sales are Amazon or something yeah. like that? So it already is. Uh, so, you know, it's more than just holidays, too. So, you know, we think about peak seasons as, uh, as the uh, Christmas shopping season, uh, but florists' busiest day of the year is Valentine's Day. And Delhi's busiest uh, time of the year is, is Super Bowl. And, you know, if you're in the gardening business, uh, you, you know, your business peaks in, in March and April and then starts to uh, uh, subside a bit. And, you know, you go through some months where not much is going on at all. So it's not just the holiday season that we're talking about here. And the, the question is, you know, what do you do when it's not peak season? Uh, and I remember back to the days when, you know, it was retail and there were catalogs and uh, most of the mailing took place during companies' peak seasons because they just couldn't afford the fixed costs of putting a catalog in the mail during a time period when not very uh, m many people would respond. Uh, but what's really happening now is uh, the availability of intent data and the ability to do individualized marketing relatively inexpensively is changing all that. And what we really want to talk about today is how do you use that intent data uh, to be smart about uh, talking to your customers during the rest of the year and also fine-tuning your CRM database so that you're ready for peak performance uh, you know, during holiday time or whenever your peak season is. It, Alan, you're dead. Uh, you're dead right about you know gardening. For example, as you know, I come out of the gardening industry, and just like the retail holiday season has collapsed into you know it used to be people would start marketing in September for it, you know start sending catalogs would send out catalogs early, and now all of that marketing activity is pushed to a narrow window. Believe it or not, the same things happen in gardening, and there's no Black Friday or Cyber Monday driving it. It's I think uh, you know it used to be that gardener gardening companies would push out catalogs starting in December. Uh, and uh, almost start to taper off in the March-April time frame. Now, uh, because all of the transactions are really occurring in that April-May time frame, the sort of the e-commerce has made it sort of like a want it now just at the right time. You know, there, I think it's across all industries that we're seeing that sort of push uh, to a, a narrow time frame where you really have to get your marketing right in that time frame or you've blown the year. Uh, and so, uh, you know, I think you're, you're right on that like during those off-season times, there is a lot that you can do to you know, prepare your uh, and you know we're going to talk about CRM files. You know the the consumers who have already given you some information. They've given you you know some contact information. Uh, you know maybe they've made some purchases from you. Uh, you've hopefully been able to collect some intent data on their web browsing data. You know that off season time and you're still barely enough time if you're in this for retail as well to really take a step back and and um, uh, take a survey of. What, what, what is the state of your, uh, your consumer data, your CRM data? The reason why that's important is, uh, you know, your CRM data, your existing, you know, the customers that you already have, the consumers you already have info on are going to make up more than 75% of your sales. They're going to make up more than 100% of your profit. And so they are, from a profit standpoint, the most important group for you to be uh, on top of. 
the first place to start looking is, you know, what is the type of contact information? What is the quality of the contact information that you have uh, on your CRM file? Uh, you know, um, most people love to, uh, most uh, uh, retailers love to use email uh, as a way to market to their consumers. It's inexpensive, uh, still pretty, you know, still gets a, a pretty good response rate. The problem is, uh, if you really look at sort of the percentage of your best consumers, the best people on your CRM file that you have a, a, an active email address for, it's only like 20 or 30%. And most people think they're, you know, they'll, they'll go, oh, we've actually got an email address on like 50 or 60% and they'll say, hey, we've got those people covered. We don't have to worry about those people. But your mail's only getting through, it's only being clicked and open to 20 or 30% of those. You've got, you know, this 70 to 80% of your file of your, uh, your customers, you can't reach that way. And so you need to be thinking about what are other ways that I can reach them. A, uh, you know, uh, there's really sort of two basic strategies that you can use to reach those people. You know, of course, you've got direct mail. Uh, direct mail is a great way to reach those people that you can't reach with email. Uh, but you've also got, um, you can also uh, onboard that data uh, through platforms like Facebook and Google. Now, the key there is knowing a consumer's, uh, today, the key is knowing a consumer's mobile phone number, their cell phone number. Finding some way that they would have shared that information with you preceding, uh, you know, in the time leading up to that. Because think about how, you know, the, it is the most permanent piece of contact information that exists today. You know, I've had my same cell phone number since 1990-something. Um, you know, in the last five years, I've had five different email addresses. If a retailer is trying to onboard my data onto Facebook or Google using email address, they've only got about a one, you know, they'll have one of my five. They've only got about a one in five chance they're actually going to find me and match me. But if they had my cell phone number, they'd be able to show me Facebook ads and Google ads uh, all day long. So. Uh, you know, you've got to make sure that you've got a, uh, you know, actively try to collect those mobile numbers. It's not because you're going to text people marketing offers. I mean, you can try that, but it doesn't tend to work really well. It's because you need that as sort of like a solid contact point, uh, you know, a uh, sort of like a true identity point. Uh, it's really become the gold standard of identity today online. Uh, and then last thing I'll say about this is, as we talked about browsing data, you know, retailers have for, I'd say the last 10 years, done a pretty good job of collecting and using browsing data in email. You know, think about like abandoned cart emails, uh, for example. But that they're not using that same data across, you know, th that data is only allows them to address, you know, like I say, those 20 to 30% of people who are actually responding to email. The other 70 to 80%, they're not using intent data virtually at all. And, uh, you know, you can absolutely take that same browsing data and use it for those Google ads, for those Facebook ads, and uh, you can you can definitely use it in direct mail, both from a contact standpoint and from a personalization standpoint. What do you think? Well, I think that you know the the point about mobile phone numbers as a connector is is something that's really really important. And you know, I too have had the same mobile phone number for a very long time, and and you know, a lot of email addresses uh, over that time period, and. Uh, the ability to, to use that as a link and to, to um, get people uh, or understand people's behavior across different platforms is, is really critical and a huge opportunity for retailers going forward. Uh, so, Larry, let's uh, let's take a break here. And uh, you have a trivia question for me today? I do, I do. You know, so, uh, you know, I was, you know, you, you had mentioned uh, the word Super Bowl earlier, and this is, you know, the NFL season is finally on us. But I know when it comes to football, that's not where your head's at. 
you know, the you know in the in the U.S., uh, everyone knows that, or or, uh, or most people know that more than 100 million people watch the Super Bowl every year in the U.S. Uh, when you look at sort of internationally, uh, there's you know, like another 50, 60 million people that might get added uh, in the uh, in the international pool, which is big. I mean, people think of this as the biggest marketing event uh, in the uh, in the world, but. By comparison, uh, for you to think about, how many people watched the FIFA World Cup Finals last year? And uh, not just watched it for a second, but actually engaged in it. Watched it for, you know, really sort of like average viewing time. All right. So I'm going to think on that a little bit. But as you, as you know, I'm a, I'm, a, I'm a big fan. And uh, uh, now that um, uh, Liverpool is back in the uh, uh, Champions League in Europe, I'm even more excited about uh, the real football uh, than than normal, so uh, I will, I'll get we'll get back to that in a bit. So, uh, but let's talk a little bit ab about uh, the importance of intent data and how it can help you, you know, prep your CRM file for your busy se seasons. Uh, so, you know, number one, consumers are always telling stories uh, and leaving data behind that help will help you understand. You know what they're doing, what they're looking for, what they're trying to accomplish. Are they, you know, are they buying for themselves or are they buying gifts? And and how do they like to be marketed to? And and you know how do they like to make the transaction? And what really resonates uh, with them? So and you can use this information to dictate your approach with with different audience segments uh, once it uh, it does get busy. Uh, but you can also use that intent data to actually make money during your off seasons. And I'll, I'll give you a couple examples. So we'll, we'll go back to, to gardening. Uh, and uh, Larry, do you grow garlic? Not anymore. Not anymore? <laughs> okay. All right. I did at one point. Okay. So uh, Robin and I grow garlic. You know, we have a garden every year. And, you know, right around this time of year, uh, you know, I'm probably a week or two away from, you know, ripping out the garden. And when I rip out the garden, I also plant garlic for, for the, the next season. And, you know, it's an excellent time to, uh, you know, take a look at what people are, you know, are, are people looking for, for garlic? Are they looking for information about that? And provide them with a little information, a postcard, um, uh, that, you know, that offers them some, uh, doesn't even have to be about selling them garlic, just tips about how to plant it, you know, when to harvest it, you know, et cetera. Uh, and there are, you know, for gardeners who typically are, are pretty inactive uh, with marketing and, you know, starting in, in July or so, uh, there's a lot of different ways that, you know, they can use the intent data to better understand what their, you know, what their customers are doing. Uh, the other opportunity is uh, there's a, a consultant in the uh, catalog industry, very well known and respected, named Jim Alexander, and, and he used to talk about 20-minute holidays, and this is going back, you know, 30 years. Uh, a 20-minute holiday was something like, you know, Father's Day, uh, where you know people didn't really start thinking about buying their gifts the way they do, you know, at uh, at Christmas time. And typically, those holidays were not particularly uh, good opportunities for traditional catalogers. But again, now with the ability to read intent and get a uh, you know a programmatic postcard out to somebody you know the next day, uh, you can take advantage of those 20-minute holidays and and uh, 
uh, start to serve as customers and provide them with what they need and want uh, during what has typically not been a peak season for you. Well, uh, I think that's a great idea, and that really gets to the idea of also in the off-season using this as a time to test new ideas, like the 20-minute holiday idea. Um, you know, uh, you mentioned programmatic postcards. I mean, that is something that is uh, fairly new in our industry, you know, really only a couple years old, and uh, uh, it's something that uh, I think could be a huge, um, you know, allow you to reach people during that sort of peak holiday season uh, that you're not going to be able to reach with email and you may not be able to reach uh, with, uh, with Facebook and Google. But the time to try to figure out how to make it work best for you was really, you know, several months before you had to do it. Uh, because there's a couple of tricks around programmatic uh, postcards. You know, for example, you know, what's the right image to show? Uh, what's the right image strategy? You know, how are you figuring out, you know, what, what's going to really boost result? And there's a, there's a lot of things that, uh, you know, are very specific to your business that if you've proven out in the off-season, you'll be ready to roll in the, uh, um, uh, you know, when your, when your peak season comes around. Uh, you know, you talk about people who, use, who mail catalogs. Uh, you know, you can test using intent data both in sort of who you select uh, for your catalogs, you know, the, the people who perhaps haven't bought from you in a while uh, but have come back online. You can see how do those people actually respond. I think you're going to find they respond very well. Um, but something that amazes me that people are still not doing much of today is using intent data to really personalize the cover of that catalog. You know, with digital printing today, you can do a ton with, uh, with print personalization, uh, and people really are not, you know, programmatic postcards is sort of like the first example of it, but you can do it in all of your direct mail pieces, not just something that's, uh, that's going out in the postcard. Um, you know, I've talked about uh, onboarding your data to Facebook and Google, onboarding your CRM data to Facebook and Google, uh, and really uh, trying to uh, connect with people who are uh, no longer active with you on email but are still good customers. Again, this is not an idea that you want to try for your very first time during a busy peak season. You know, it doesn't cost that much. Uh, you know, try it in the off season, learn how to do it, uh, and then you can take advantage of it. Uh, then, uh, last thing I'll say is, you know, during the during the off season, is you know, I talked about that. You know, only twenty to thirty percent of your active buyers have um, a valid email address you can use. Well. You probably have email address on more than those, more than that twenty to thirty percent, but you know they're getting your emails and they're not responding. So you can uh, use the off season to try to you know frankly send out some emails that are clickbait, not just as you say emails that are say hey buy this right now. What's going to get them you know what's going to get them active? Uh, what's going to get them clicking, engaging with you again, so that when the busy season comes around, that twenty to thirty percent active for you might be more like thirty to forty percent, because. You know, you sent them emails that say, you know, uh, uh, here are the 25 secrets for uh, growing garlic. Number seven is a real shocker. Uh, you know, those kind of clickbait things and get those folks back into it and get, uh, and get interested. And I think in summary, uh, uh, Larry, you made some excellent points there. And, you know, what we're really saying is, hey, let the data do the talking here. People are leaving behind, you know, digital breadcrumbs on your site uh, every day of the year, whether it's peak season or, or not. And that data should dictate, dictate the type of marketing people receive, when they receive it, uh, and, and uh, what the content uh, of that marketing is. And you know, letting people decide what they want from your marketing uh, makes it a lot easier for, for you to give them what they want and easier for them to buy from you. Yeah, and programmatic postcards uh, allow you to give this data a voice uh, while also allowing you to quickly capitalize on opportunities and respond to trends. 
So speaking of individuals, uh, let's go back to our trivia question, which, you know, in retrospect, I realize for you may be way too easy. But, uh, you know, there were about 111 million uh, people in the U.S. who, uh, on average, watched the Super Bowl last year. There's about 170 million that watched at least one second of it. Uh, but the average is like 111 million. For the FIFA World Cup in 2014, uh, how many folks uh, engaged? So I'm going to guess three quarters of a billion. Three quarters of a billion, so the uh, 750 million. So you are right in the middle. Uh, there was uh, just over a billion who watched about a second. Uh, there were 570 million uh, who, uh, you know, would be the equivalent. You know, were average watchers would be the equivalent of the U.S. number. So, you know, uh, you know, three, four, five x the uh, the U.S. number. Now the other thing that is amazing about what happened in FIFA and uh, is. Um, in the U.S., about two million people streamed the Super Bowl internationally uh, for the World Cup, the Soccer World Cup. You know, the, and this would be like streamed and saw at least one second of it. It was over 200 million, so it was like 100x the uh, the streaming audience uh, for uh, FIFA and your Champions League. Uh, you know how many people watched the uh, Champions League uh, uh, final? Uh, I, I don't, but I'll guess 150 million. More like 300. 300 million. And so again, wow. okay. you know, in the, the uh, you know, so we live in the U.S. We follow football, et cetera. But man, you know, people talk about soccer being big worldwide, and the uh, the data is really beginning to uh, to show that. Wow, that's really crazy. And th but think of the parties across the globe, and it goes to show that you know there's more to busy season than just the, the the holidays and New Year's and Super Bowl. So you know, delis and supermarkets and electronics retailers and cable providers, they all had to prepare for. 570 million people, that's mind-blowing. It is. Well, they've got about nine more months uh, to prepare before the next World Cup in Russia. Uh, but retailers in the U.S. just have a couple more months before an event that is really, you know, for them, going to be the most important event of the year for them. So there's still time, as I said, to get your CRM file in shape, make sure intent data is there to use, and, you know, begin testing some of these things. Even in October, you can still get some good information that will help you come November and December time frame. All right. Uh, oh, I'm sorry, did you have something more? Uh, no, I think uh, you covered it well, and um, so let's wrap it up. All right. Well, that, uh, that'll do it for another episode of Two Guys and Some Data. We'll be back shortly with more tips for using data to help you actually make money. In the meantime, if you want to read more from us, check us out at navistone.com backslash blog. And if you enjoyed today's show, head on over to iTunes and leave us a five-star review. Uh, thanks for listening. We'll see you next time. I'm Larry Cavanaugh. And I'm Alan Abbott. Thanks for tuning in.